Welcome to Voice Fiction. Meet authors of e-books, audiobooks, and audio drama. Be enlightened by post-production specialists, directors, voice actors, and learn more about the wonderful world of online audio. And now your host, John Tatterzak. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Voice Fiction. And at the roundtable today, we have Bobby Owens, Glenn Higby, John Tatterzak, of course, me, and Colin Thornton. And our subject today is writers. And our guest is Mike Murphy, Julie Hoverson, and Glenn Haskell. I'd like to start with Mike Murphy, who has written over 100 audio plays, many for Misfits Audio, where he has four series. Most of his writing includes comedy, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and detective. He maintains a written blog, which includes links to all of his freely available shows, and he lives in Massachusetts. Great state of Massachusetts. Julie is a Renaissance woman with a wide experience and knowledge. She has spent the last five years writing, producing, acting in an award-winning podcast audio drama anthology. She has a website called 19 Nocturnal Boulevard. She is also working on her first full dramatic auto novel. Are you serious? Yes, we're doing a full audio novel. It's a 500-page book. Wow. It's going to take us quite some time to get through. Well, fabulous, fabulous. Glenn Haskell. Glenn has written more than 400 stage plays. He has worked in broadcasting, and he still is working there, and voice acting for more than 20 years. His pre-recording is parts of this podcast because he starts work at 3.30 in the morning. And right now, he's sleeping. <laughs> so... We like to thank you all, and we do appreciate you being here at Voice Fiction. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Glenn, I believe you have a question. Oh, cool. Here we go. Awesome. It's great to meet you, Mike. I appreciate everything you've done for me. Julie as well. I think we've worked together here and there. But let's start with what drives you, Mike, to want to tell a story? Uh, well, I think for me it's kind of cathartic. I have a life going on back here that is very, very hectic, being a single dad. And so I find that when I get the chance to sit down and write up a story that's been forming in my mind, I find it very cathartic and, you know, very relieving. It makes me feel, okay, I've done something really good today, and now it exists. And that, I think, is the main reason why I write that. And hopefully, you know, maybe somebody else might hear something that was done and it might influence them to contribute to this art form also. Excellent. Good answer. Julie, what makes you want to tell a story? Oh, usually when I'm trying to fall asleep and the characters won't shut up in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Much of what I do, I focus heavily on the characterization, and the characters will just start talking, and I know that if I don't write it down right now, that I'm going to lose some incredible gem of dialogue or of character generation, uh, character development. Yeah, it's... I also, I just love to entertain, and I write characters that I really, really want to play. I may not always end up playing them. I may actually give them away to people, but and when I'm writing them, I always want to play them. Glad. You know, telling a good story isn't just about having a, a great idea. I mean, for me, uh, I can be inspired by, you know, working in a flower garden or hanging out with my son or, or any number of things. Sometimes good stories just come from regular life. Uh, sometimes they're an imitation of life, and they can come from all kinds of different directions, and, and sometimes we can have a 
tendency to to totally reject certain story ideas simply because they don't seem like uh, the next big epic novel. Uh, but sometimes just a little kernel of something can can move into something much bigger. Uh, this is uh, Colin speaking. Julie, why audio? I mean, why not a novel, a film, or a TV show? Well, I wouldn't get to play the characters, would I? <laughs> Especially the ones who, you know, are little old ladies or small children or guys or, you know, somebody in a different time period. It's much more freeing this way because, first off, also, I've written screenplays. I don't have a hope in, you know, a snowball's chance to get one made into a movie. So it just sits there. I could write a stack of screenplays up to the ceiling and have nothing but that. This way I have a product and I can entertain people. I can relate to that sentiment exactly. I've got that stack of screenplays. <laughs> yeah. M- Michael, I'm going to ask you the same question. Why, uh, and I know you're trying to get a TV show going now, but uh, why audio? Well, I, I think for me it's that when I grew up, if I ever truly did, I, I grew up in the 19th 70s. And I started listening to a show that was on then called the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. And I got very enamored of it and thought, geez, you know, this is a great way. Of course, I was born shortly after old time radio ended. So the CBS Mystery Theater was my first exposure to this. And I really enjoyed it and said, geez, I, I think I could do this. I think I've heard enough. And I believe that the exposure that I've had to that and then going backwards and listening to old-time radio programs just makes me better able to focus on audio rather than television or film. I have tried TV and film. I have some things that are in the offing, but I haven't heard one way or the other yet, which I hope is good news. We're, we're all in development heck. Yeah, yeah, you're new at that. Right? It's development hell, they call it. Well, I'm trying. I don't know what your your tolerance level. I'm trying to keep my language G. <laughs> uh, okay, folks. Uh, question for everybody. Have you tried to develop a style? A voice that is uniquely yours. Ladies first. Oh, well, the funny thing about me is I have a tendency to randomly choose different styles to write in. Among the 90 episodes of 19 Nocturne Boulevard, I was just counting them up recently and went, holy cow, I have 90 episodes. Congratulations. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, because of the audio novel, we're not going to get the episode 100 out until sometime next year because we're slowing down. But I've done episodes in the style of different genres. I'll just pick a genre and go, oh, I want to write a something in the style of Jane Austen. I want to write something in the style of an amicus horror anthology film. I want to write something in the style of a giallo thriller from the 70s. And I do. And then somehow it turns out so such a bizarre homage to that genre that people just people know that if they don't like one episode of my show, they just try another one because it's going to be something else completely different. So that bizarre homage becomes your unique style. Yeah. I also tend to have in-jokes that travel through one episode to another for no apparent reason. Just things like, for some reason, in one episode I wrote a throwaway line about Fritz and Acquisitions. And Fritz and Acquisitions keeps showing up in different episodes and different stories. (laughs) I mean, just mentioned somewhere in the background and it just keeps cracking people up. I guess I'm sort of like Stephen King that way. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I'm just like Stephen King. Woo! (laughs) Michael? Yeah, same question. Well, yeah. I, you know, I know it's hard with you because, you know, you, I know Mike is not much of a voice person, so he no. will probably won't have a technique, but he does love to write. I do, yes. And, and 
from what Julie said, I've always always thought, and this is why I have you know strange stories and then something entirely different with say Jim Nolan and the administration is that I don't want to be I don't want to get the writer's equivalent of typecast. I don't want yes. someone to say, oh, he just writes horror or he just writes detective. So so that's why I've always tried to vary things and write comedy and detective and horror and science fiction because I don't want someone to think of me as a one-trick pony. Michael, we have clips of uh, Jim Nolan, The Admin, Corner Bar, and Strange Stories. Uh, which one would you like this to play? Uh, well, let's see. Well, the, I guess Strange Stories started it at Misfits I, when Julie was the narrator for the first, oh, what was it, dozen or so episodes, I think. So why not Strange Stories first? Let's go. Well, House, you're all mine now, and I live 3,000 miles away. What am I going to do with you? Kim? Who's there? Who's in this house? It's me. It's you. It's us. Show yourself. I can't. Who are you? It's me, Kimmy. Kimmy? My mom called me that back when I... Long time no see, Kimmy. Returning to her childhood home following the death of her mother, Kimberly McMillan, 25, has been enjoying a trip down memory lane. Who can blame her for reminiscing about times past on the day of her mother's funeral? Is the voice of her younger self, Kimmy, in her mind or in the house? Also, who or what is this mysterious childhood friend in her bedroom closet who needs her help? Okay, you want to weigh in on that, Glenn? Um, I, hopefully that comes naturally. I mean, uh, when it comes to, to my voice and the things that I do, um, I like to have humor and comedy involved in, in as many aspects as possible. Now, not everything that I write is, is comedy-oriented, but that's something that I like to do. I like to have something that um, you can bring anybody to the table and, and have them listen, uh, whether it's kids, grandparents, uh, that there's not going to be something that uh, you're going to have to try to explain later. So if, if that's part of my voice, I guess that would, would probably be it. This is Bobby, by the way. To be able to have uh, characters and characters that continue on. I mean, the continuity is, is very hard for a lot of writers, but you guys seem to really do it really well. What are the pros and cons of developing a character that lasts for, I don't know, a dozen episodes or more? Julie? I uh, ongoing series I'm working on right now is called Fatal Girl, which is in the style of an anime. And it's been real interesting to both develop these characters and maintain certain characteristics. It's, for instance, one of the characters is like the creepy guy. And I have to constantly develop this character and then constantly also keep him true to his status as the creepy guy <laughs> so that he never becomes just another generic hero. But yeah, you have to keep track of a lot of stuff and you constantly have to make notes and go back and make sure you're not contradicting something that you did in a previous episode. And that is really difficult, especially with something as wide ranging as an anime, because pretty much anime means there are no rules. How about you, Michael? I, I don't find a, a problem. I actually find that as the series goes on, for instance, a, a Jim Nolan uh, that we're up to the 20th, I believe, episode is going to premiere early in September. Maybe when the characters began, I was a little more uneasy about how they should act and react. But now that I've written as many scripts as I have, I, I find they're kind of like old friends. I know how they'd react. I know what Jim might or might not say or do mm -hmm. or Gladys or Carmichael. But but like Julie, I'll have a problem. I'll say, no, wait a minute. I gave Jim a middle name a while ago. What the heck was his middle name? And then I'll have to go back through all the scripts and say, oh, okay, that was his middle name because I need him to use it again. And there probably would be people out there. There are some people on Facebook who are 
very big fans of Jim Nolan, and I think that if I suddenly gave him another middle name, they would write in and say, no, 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 wait a minute, you gave him this middle name first. Well, this would be a perfect time to play a clip from Jim Nolan. Will you kindly grab your coat and come with me? Why should she do that? Ma'am, I'm placing you under arrest for the murder of your husband. You have to be kidding. I adored him. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of Five minutes, Mr. Nolan. I didn't expect to see you again. I need your help. (laughs) From a prison cell? I have to know what happened on the night of the fire. I can't help you without that information. I I can't. I don't think you understand the spot you're in. Excellent. We're back. Jim Nolan has been uh, one of my favorite uh, stories of yours, series of yours. And and one of the things is his dialogue. Writing convincing dialogue is such a rare talent. How how do you do it, Mike? Do I write convincing dialogue? (laughs) I think so. Oh, yes. uh, I guess it may, maybe, again, it goes back to everything that I have listened to. I've much more spent my my wasted life listening to the radio than watching television. So perhaps hearing all of those radio plays, you know, from the 40s, 50s, and into the 80s, maybe I've developed more of an ear for the sound of people's voices and how they would converse and what they might and might not say to each other. And that's about the only reason I can I can think of. And when I am, after I finish a script, I do go through it, and I tend to kind of mumble the words as I'm reading so so I can see if they sound correct, if they sound like a person would actually say something like that. Fortunately, I don't think my son has ever heard me doing it, because I think he'd wonder if his old man was in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) How old is your son, by the way? Fifteen. He's upstairs in bed, hopefully asleep, though I can't guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah, he's got college in a couple of years. Are you ready for that? No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me for a second, folks. Uh, I understand that uh, some people here uh, as our guests have won some awards. Could we have a little more history about these awards? I'll defer to Julie. Oh, I've won two Mark Time Gold Awards, one for The Outpost in 2008 and one for The Rookie in 2009, and a Gold Ogle for the Ghost of a Chance in 2011. And and I've also been a finalist in the Hospital Summer Leipzig twice now, which is a German audio festival. And one of the less than five English finalists in each case. Which Congratulations. Is, yeah. I'm apparently very big in Germany. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you and David Hasselhoff. Yeah, it's nice, to be, <laughs> nice to be big wherever it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Germany actually has a very thriving audio drama culture actually they're one of the, the other places that still do it excellent i didn't know that that's only the u.s still did it <laughs> and michael well i just won what a week ago or so i just won an award for uh audio drama script writing with a story that is currently unproduced though is being considered by two companies called the return of cosmo draper and it won first place out of i was told the many scripts that were submitted which is nice because one it stokes my ego that it won out of many and second <laughs> it means that people are actually writing for audio if people were submitting scripts to this contest well cool congratulations i got a nice plaque that i just put up this evening and <laughs> and a nice little uh, honorarium that i got for for winning it so as uh, my friend sable jack told me one time she said that contests Always look good on a resume. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And it was free to enter, so that's a plus. Yes, definitely. You don't have to buy your (laughs) award. Yeah. All right, guys, here's the big question. 
And I'm going to add something to this question here. What makes a great villain and what makes a great hero slash heroine? Let's start with Julie. Well, I always approach a villain with the idea that a villain is never the villain of his story or her story. That, you know, your antagonist as it were, is doing things for logical reasons that make sense to them and that, you know, may not make sense to everyone else. But, you know, you're at odds with each other, not because they are evil, but because, you know, you have different goals. And that's, it's really big that way because you can make a much more fully fleshed out character, unless you're working in something that's very, very, a specific genre where villains are always evil, like fairy tales or something. (laughs) I mean, anime, I can work somewhat with evil characters, but even then I always end up giving them actual backstories and actual motivations and actual goals and hopes and dreams and stuff. You know, and I it it makes the whole thing much more rounded out when you know why everyone's why everyone in the story is doing what they're doing, and heroes too. I mean, if a hero is just being a hero because that is their role in the story, that's not very compelling. But if they have their own reasons, their own goals, destiny, curses, you know, something they're trying to achieve, then they may be more or less likely to take shortcuts or help other people along the way or whatever. Excellent. Mike, think about this for a second before you answer that question. Do we have to have a villain in a story to make a story work? No, we don't. Not at all. I have to agree with Julie that if you have someone who is just a villain for villainy's sake, it can get boring. A villain should have a reason for being a villain. And right. if he or she doesn't, it just it doesn't seem right. An example is again in Jim Nolan. Uh, I had a family who had kidnapped Jim's father, and they had kidnapped him because he had infiltrated their organization some years ago, and they held a grudge against him. So if they were just evil people who decided we will kidnap Jim's father, and there was no reason behind it, I mean I don't think many people sympathized with those characters, but they had a reason for doing what they did. Perhaps a demented reason, but a reason. And so that made them evil, but you know, in the long run, even a villain is human. And they have to have human qualities or they're just a caricature. Say one last thing. Sorry. I I was just revisiting an early series of mine, Bingo the Birthday Clown, recently, and it's very, very twisted. It's not what it sounds like. I was actually just talking to somebody who was a huge fan of it. And in it I have one actual four-color villain. His name is Tunis the Unstoppable. And it's the kind of... Well, he's he's from a Buck Rogers-type setting, you know, uh-huh. and he is, he is literally... But even so, he is tempered by the fact that it's a strange world where there's all these characters from different shows that are coming together. And he starts to try and temper his evil because he falls in love with this girl from a different show. And he's trying to impress her. And at the same time, every once in a while, he can't help himself. He has to do something evil. (laughs) He can't help himself. He has to do something evil. Evil, yeah. Evil rules. Even on the Misfits (laughs) Audio Voice Fiction podcast site, we have to cut... We have to cut to a commercial for a minute. Hi, this is writer-producer Glenn Haskell inviting you to the world of fable distortions. Uh, could you, uh, could you hit the clicker? (sighs) Hey, Jed, where are you going? To Bernie's. Oh, on a little errand for Mommy? We gotta eat, Diesel. Yeah, Diesel, eat. We gotta eat. 
So you've had a lot of experience with spoiled ham products. You don't have to answer that. Uh, I think I want to see my lawyer. English accent. I don't see that in my volunteer contract. Might you have any food for three weary pioneers? Sure, take our last three strips of jerky. Well, that's mighty kind of you, ma'am. Tastes like cow. Fable Distortions is just one of the many audio adventures you'll find at MisfitsAudio.com. Drop by. Be amused. MisfitsAudio.com. And we're back. I have a question. Did either of you, uh, well, let's start with uh, Julie. Uh, Did you study creative writing in school or come by it by another route? I I studied a little bit, but mostly what I've done is years and years, in fact, <clears throat> years of... Uh, <laughs> that many. Of, yes, of role-playing games. I ran many, many, many role-playing game uh, scenarios, mostly modern-day horror investigation stuff like the X-Files. And I actually wrote for several different games over the years and wrote my own fanzine for a while. And when you're creating plots that you have to guide people through, because that's the point of being the person running the game, learn, you get instant feedback as to whether your plots are, and your clues and your other characters that they're interacting with are functional, logical, and entertaining. You get it right there in your face because they'll tell you if they're not having fun. And so it was a very, very logical step from that to simply writing lines for these characters, including the hero characters, and turning it into stories. Uh, Glenn? Uh, Yes and yes. Um, here's here's the thing. Uh, I started in broadcasting more years ago than I cared to admit, and I had to write a lot of radio scripts, and they wanted very creative radio scripts, and I infused a lot of comedy, and so it really got to the place where, if you boil it down, it was almost like some of these audio dramas in a 30 or 60 second script, and so it wasn't a big stretch to then take that and move it from a 30 or 60 second radio spot to something that was a little bit longer and could develop the characters that situation a little bit more. And so when I was in school, yes, I, I, I studied creative writing and I enjoyed creative writing, um, still do. And, and I write for a lot of clients apart from audio drama. Audio drama uh, is is really sort of uh, the newest phase of the, the many different things that that uh, I've been graciously allowed to, to do. Uh, my dad was always one that said, you know, uh, if, if you want to do something, keep doing it. I mean, and even if somebody tells you that you're awful at it, um, maybe that's just some encouragement to, to, to do better at it. And, and so that has allowed me to, to participate in a lot of different adventures in my lifetime without a great deal of fear that, that maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough at this. And I'm, I'm willing to admit that, uh, you know, don't look at me as, as the, the best writer there is out there, but maybe one that is, is just stupid enough that, uh, that he might be able to pull off a script or two that, that uh, may connect with an audience. Michael, same question. I yeah, bet. how did how did you get into this? Uh... I have a degree in journalism, believe it or not. I have a I have a bachelor of science in journalism from a uh, university here in Boston, and, and I've done over the years, over more years than I care to recall, a lot of editorial work, proofreading work, writing work for various firms, including law firms, accounting firms, in and around Boston. And I, I really started writing this stuff. There was a contest for another audio production company some years ago that I listened to, and they were having a script contest. And I decided, I've listened to them enough. I can do this. And that is what finally goaded me into trying my hand at it. I did get some nice comments. I did not win, place, or show in the contest, but I got some nice comments on the script that I did. And since then, I have placed 
some stories with them. But no, I, I just started it. Be, again, I think it's all that listening. Maybe it's just in my head and needs to come out and it kind of reforms itself in my head and comes out in a different matrix than it did going in. Interesting. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, not to mention the fact that my brain is just a mess. You know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Ju- got... Julie, what, what, what state is your brain in? <laughs> oh, what's, uh, your, what's your background? Delirium. No, um, Washington, actually, is the state my brain is in. My background? <laughs> well, as I said, I come from a lot of role-playing games, and that's what I've written for in the past. Much of it is just, I've been doing creative writing since I was, well, since I learned how to actually put a pen to paper and write or use my mom's typewriter. In fact, when I was in, what was it, second or third grade, I tried to actually turn my favorite novel into a stage play. I typed up reams and reams and reams of pages, turning it into a play. Oh, I've that I would be embarrassed to see these days. So do you think your teachers today would be proud of you both for writing, you think, as a grade schooler compared to writing today? Mm. Or, or is that a, that a tricky one? <laughs> well, I, I, I had weird teachers. <laughs> I had none, so that would be tough. I think they'd be happy that I was doing something with my life and doing something creative. Sure. They, they were never too fond of me most of the time in school, so hopefully they'd say, he amounted to something, which is good. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. You guys are so, Julie, you talked about doing 90 episodes that you just counted them out. I mean, and you, yeah. you both are so prolific. I mean, how do you manage both of you to be so prolific, Julie? It's really, it, it takes a lot of time. I mean, people, even other producers in audio drama are stunned by the amount of work I get done because I actually produce all of these, which the production part of, of a show, like a rule of thumb, is it takes about an hour for each minute of unique audio you're doing. Hmm. And since mine all run 30 minutes or so, and then I've also, and that's not counting the four-part ones I did for Halloween a couple times and the short episodes and the extras. And I did a really great adaptation of the Dunwich Horror one year. Oh, I've done a lot of Lovecraft adaptations. It's one of my passions. Yeah, I'm constantly producing things. I've been a little slower this whole year because I kind of stumbled when I had a computer issue. And when you have 15 balls in the air, because I'm at any given time, I'm editing this one and I'm writing that one and I'm scouting music for that one and I'm casting that one. Wow. You know, when you have 15 balls in the air and you drop them, you can't just start up again with 15 balls. All of a sudden, you're starting with two, and it's very frustrating. <laughs> How about you, Michael? Uh, for me, it helps that I have no life. So I, I have the time to do this. Uh, it does take a lot of time. I, unlike Julie, I know nothing about mixing or music. I, I have done a few guest spots, for lack of a better term, on some of my shows, and I think I've set the craft of voice acting back a while, but I really don't have the time, aside from writing these and, and doing my, my fatherhood stuff, I don't have the time to understand how to do the rest of it, so fortunately I have great people voicing my words, and people like, say, John Specht, for instance, who does all of the Jim Nolan shows, who does an incredible job for me, and fortunately he's a fan of the show, which is great. So he pulls together some things that I am just amazed. I, I hear them and I'm like, boy, did I really write that? That sounds great. But no, I, I just write when I can, usually when my son is asleep, 
Mm-hmm. And you just don't sleep very often, as I'm sure Julie doesn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, just, you just feel the, the need to get, I don't have all of the projects Julie has going on, but I've probably got about four or five scripts right now that are partly done. And I, they keep vying for my attention. I have to tell myself, focus on one. Get one of them done. <laughs> wow. Oh, I have a file of those, too. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, folks, I've got another question for you. Any advice for young talent writers uh, wanting to start writing? Ladies first. (laughs) Right. It's something that it sounds so simplistic, but really, right. Just keep writing. Get somebody, not just a friend, to to critique it. Don't hand it to somebody who's just going to say, oh, that's so nice. Um, You know, Find somebody who's actually going to read it over and go, okay, you know, you need more drama here. This character doesn't really mean anything. Take it out. It's really hard to find people who can balance that because everybody, your friends, don't want to tell you anything bad. But really, really just keep writing. Write, 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 write. And it's because I see all these people at sci-fi conventions and stuff who are like, I have this great idea for a novel and I'll write it as soon as I find out if I can sell it. You're like, if you were a writer, you'd have written it. You just want to be an author, don't you? Or famous. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's where I drop the line. You know, an author is somebody who is known for writing, while a a writer is somebody who would have already written it and five others because they can't not. Exactly. That's a great point. Michael? Oh, ages ago, back in the electric typewriter days, I used to write some stories, and actually some of them I found again. I used to write them in prose. They went nowhere. I forwarded them to various magazines, and I got the typical rejection letters. Thank you, but it's not for us, etc., etc. So if I could actually, you know... You know, be so uh, unhumble, if that is a word, is to tell people how to do this. I'd agree with Julie. Definitely write. I, I remember hearing an interview with Neil Gaiman, who I've always enjoyed his stuff, um, more so his narration than actually reading his work. And he said that you have to write because so many writers have this dream that elves are going to come in the night and finish whatever story that you haven't <laughs> finished yet. You, you just have to write. I mean, I've written some stuff, one of the later latest Jim Nolan shows that I wrote. I wrote a scene or two, and then I went back and I read it the next day. And I said, boy, that's crap. That is horrible. You know, I, <laughs> I've got to revise that. So, But I did write something, so there was a bit of a framework. And I'd also encourage anyone that wants to try it, if it's particularly for audio, is to listen to the world so you can know how people speak what sounds you might hear in certain places, because it has to be believable to the listener. And sometimes there are so many sound effects that have to be put into there that it just boggles that like if someone opens a door, I, I have this all the time in mind, and maybe it's a little bit too much. If someone opens a door and it's a nice day outside, you're going to hear, say, birds, or you're going to hear cars going or something. So you have to have that little bit of sound so, you know, anyone who wants to do this, definitely listen to the world and, and watch the world and just write, even if you think it's absolutely horrible. And some of that stuff of mine that I found I had written a long time ago was, whew, just write and keep keep going at it and, until you're falling asleep at your keyboard and just do your best. <laughs> I like that. I really like that. So, Glenn. Just write. Uh, don't get so caught up on, on where it's actually going to show up. It may not show up anywhere. But if you're convinced that you need to be a writer... 
whether it's audio drama, whether it's articles for newspapers, magazines, books. I mean, I've done all those kind of things. What you need to do is just start writing. And, and the whole idea of what is that quantitative mark? What is it that, that says I'm finally a writer? You, you become a writer when you believe you're a writer. It's, it's not when you have an article accepted. It's not when a publisher says, let me give you a, a contract. You are a writer when you determine in your heart that that is the purpose for which you were created, that you were designed to write. Then it doesn't matter what anybody else calls you. You're a writer. When you believe it yourself, you're a writer. And then once you decide that, like I said before, sit down and start writing. Spend time every day writing. Spend time writing a little something. Find a place for it if you want to. Give it away for free if you want to. And I know a lot of folks say don't ever do that. But especially when you're starting out, you can find places that will accept your writing at, at no cost. They aren't going to charge you, but they're not going to pay you. And, and you can get your work out for people to see and read. Yeah, you'll get some feedback that way. It will help you improve, uh, do better. Uh, it may indeed lead to, uh, to paying markets. So if you're going to write, determine that that's what you're going to do and then do it. Hey, guys, if people want to contact you or find you or read your stuff or any of above, um, how do they find you, Julie? Well, my website is at www.19nocturneboulevard.com. That's 19 Nocturne Boulevard. All one word, no caps. They can reach me through there. I'm the administrator. I'm the everything. That's And the website person, which is why the website's never updated right away. <laughs> but Or I also have a Facebook page for 19 Nocturne. And I really do actually answer to people when they, they come there. Well, that's uh, nice. Yeah. And Michael? And uh, I also have a, I have a blog. I don't keep a, a website because I don't know how. I have a blog. <laughs> it's called Audio, A-U-D-I-O, Author, A-U-T-H-O-R, audioauthor.blogspot.com. And there is a contact me form there that anyone who wants to get in touch with me can do so there. And on behalf of uh, Misfits, Cap and I have, we have Facebook pages for Misfits itself. And we also have one for Jim Nolan in particular. And uh, anyone that writes in there, we usually see a question that they would have. And one or both of us will answer it and get back to people because we really appreciate the fans who listen to this stuff. And getting feedback doesn't happen very often in this business. We never get enough fan mail, trust me. Everybody, actually somebody today, somebody today said, I hesitated to send you a fan letter because I figured you must have lots of them. I'm like, oh, no. Oh. Send away. Well, that will change, Julie. That Absolutely. will change as soon as this podcast hits the waves. That's cool. How about you, Glenn? Yeah, you can reach me at dramaspeak at gmail.com. <laughs> hey, Mike, can I ask, how did you and Kat meet? How you started Misfits? <laughs> oh, it's, let's, let's see. Back in, I think it was 2008, which is around the time of that contest I mentioned. When I didn't win place or show in it, I still said, well... I still want to do this, so I, I didn't win the contest. I didn't do anything. I still want to try it out. So I went online. I looked up a bunch of audio companies, and I sent out to a lot of them saying, "Hey, I'm I'm a guy who you know thinks I can do this, and I've written some scripts. I like to give it a try." Some of them absolutely ignored me. Some of them got back and were kind of testy. Cap wrote me back. Wow. I, he must have been like the third person to write me back. He's very welcoming, very friendly, as he as he is now, right, Cap? <laughs> and, uh, and the first script I had um, was turned out to be the first episode of Strange Stories. It wasn't going to be a series. It was going to be a, uh, if I remember this correctly, it was going to be a, a one-shot because they were just going to produce this one script of mine. And then Cap, as that one was in production, said, hey, do you have anything else? 
and I gave him another script I had just written, and he said, oh, you, we, we need to get you a series. We, nice. we can't have you just do one-shots. We need you to get a series. And so Strange Stories was born, and then Jim Nolan and the administration and every uh, the corner bar on Alpha Prime, all those other things branched off of it. And sooner or later, we're having, um, I don't know when it's coming out particularly, it's in the works. It's called Millie Foster, Macabre Investigator. Ooh. Ooh. Yes, it's a, I don't, not a private investigator, a, a female investigator of all things spooky and supernatural. Oh, wow, awesome. Because I, I would agree with some people I've heard, like uh, Gwendolyn Woodard, who tells that there, there aren't enough good roles out there for, for women in audio. I think a lot of people tend to write, and, and I might be guilty of it myself, tend to write male roles. So I particularly wanted her to be, this to be a female character, and she is going to be played by uh, Natalie Stanfield Thomas. Oh, I know her. She's yes. excellent. Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, folks, we're going to have to call it quits here. I'm sure we have a lot more questions we would love to ask. But let's just say we like to thank you for being here. I just wish we had more time. So on behalf of Voice Fiction and the people here at the round table, we would like to say thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good night. Thank thanks you, for having thank us. Thank you, Julie. Good night. Well, thanks for having me. And goodbye. Thanks, Glenn. Good night. This is your announcer, Joe Stofko, for Voice Fiction. Thanks for listening. Until we meet again. The opinions expressed during roundtable discussions are that of individuals and do not necessarily reflect the position of Voice Fiction. This episode is copyright 2013, Voice Fiction Productions. For full disclaimer and privacy policy, visit voicefiction.com.